3.30. Yeah, uh, it's been one of those days where I, I can't believe the time has flown by as fast as it has. Just a lot more to get done. Yeah, there's something with the time change too that I just like cannot get my bearings. I know that's not a hot take. Like everybody is talking about how much it ruins their lives, but oh my gosh, it feels like it feels like it's 10 p.m. a couple hours after I wake up, and that just like doesn't make any sense. Yeah, is this is the last year in Tennessee? right wait what am i making that up i think that's true i think you're definitely making that up <clears throat> it's possible all right well we're gonna fact check that before anything goes in the podcast please, because please do <laughs> what if we started that rumor and then the tennessee legislator just like had to pass it because everybody thought it was true i mean if you know i wouldn't i wouldn't be mad no i feel like they would make a holiday in our honor they should, you know, <laughs> if, if, yeah, if this is where it all started, then I think that's appropriate. Then everyone would listen to the Frontier podcast. <laughs> Mission accomplished. All right. Done. We're down here. <laughs> Tyler, we're talking about something that I think you and I have pretty decent experience with here on the team, which is why we love hiring people who are a little bit more green mm. and maybe in some cases don't even have experience working in technology. And it's probably worthwhile to start with both of our stories because neither of us came from like a storied history working in technology, right? True. The myth is Tasia found you working in Home Depot, which I don't know. I don't know how true that all is. So what were you doing before you came here? It's yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's mostly true. Isn't that uh, a fact check response? Mostly true. Yeah, it's mostly true. There's a blog post about it. So <laughs> yeah, uh, no, we uh, I mean, we met prior to that. But, um, you know, the reality is that the business of the time where they couldn't couldn't afford to, to bring me on and I wanted to work here. And so we just that's what I was doing to string along the bills until, you know, I was able to uh, to come on full time. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of truth to that. But I obviously knew Tasha before. So and you were working well, you majored in something relevant, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I majored in entrepreneurship um, from Belmont uh, out of college. And obviously, I'd spent some time, you know, with within the EC network here in Nashville and uh, really enjoyed that space. And so obviously taking classes and, and coursework and, and that and had just the tiniest bit of experience from from that. It's nothing, I think, to the, uh, you know, what you learn once you're in it. But it's where I wanted to be, and and so yeah, I mean, I I knew at least enough to know that that was interesting to me, and I I wanted to learn more and just kind of steep myself in that. So that's what you know drew me into the um, this kind of space to begin with. And then this will be easy to fact check. So Gun.io is really your first kind of like technology company um, that you've worked for. Yeah, I mean, I've done a couple a couple contract stints here and there with with a few other um, firms, but. Uh, but yeah, this would be like the first real kind of tenured position with any any sort of longevity to it. So yeah, same. I mean, I did not major in anything relevant, as you know. <laughs> I thought I was going to be working in the Middle East, and when that didn't pan out, I was a teacher for eighth and ninth graders for three years, and then did a couple of stints with startups, none strictly technology based, um, before I landed here. So obviously, we're when we both landed 
at Gun.io, like five years apart from each other, we were pretty green. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's interesting that that's been like pretty thematic with folks that we've brought on since. Yeah, in a lot of cases, I think that's that's definitely true. I mean, we've we've certainly worked with people that are not green, right? That have come in with um, domain expertise and in various areas and. I think at times that's definitely necessary, but there's been a lot of cases where that has not been the case. Um, to your point, where we've you know, we've hired and we've worked with people where they have a foundation of a given skill set that that we think they'll need to succeed in a role, but then can build on that. Um, they have a lot of room to grow and um, really blossom into that, uh, and so that's been fun to see too. But um, you know, I think there are times that that call for one or the other, mm-hmm. but. We've certainly done done a fair amount where we've hired people that have just given them a lot of room to grow in their roles too. There's so much in what you just said that I want to circle back to, <laughs> you know, like I want to talk about how we decide when to bring in an expert and when it's okay to bring in someone with just like a lot of hustle, who's a little bit more green. Mm. You mentioned how we give people kind of the space and resources to grow, which I think is valuable to talk about, but maybe a good place to start is you know, you mentioned, obviously, there was a time when we were a young company, and I think we still operate sometimes a lot like a, a really scrappy startup. Um, and oftentimes, in those cases, at smaller companies, cost is really a hurdle, yeah. right? Like Huge driver of decision making. Yeah, exactly. And so when there's not kind of an endless amount of cash to work with for your hiring strategy, Something that we've done that seems to have worked pretty well is we said, all right, here here are the domains where we certainly need an expert who has a point of view, who's done this several times before, and can bring that context here to our team. We can't always afford those people full-time right away, right? And so our strategy has been, let's work with these domain experts fractionally, whether that's right. kind of a short-term engagement where they audit something we're doing or we bring them on as you know long-term fractional employee. Yep. And then let's augment them with green folks who can learn from them, be kind of their legs on the ground, do a lot of the implementation level stuff. And that seemed to work pretty well for us over the years, right? Yeah, I certainly think that's true. I mean, and in more ways than just just the level of expertise that somebody brings, right? I mean, there are opportunities that are just smaller sized in terms of like the projects and things that need done where fractional makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I think it allows people a chance to feel us out as a company and a culture. And this is somewhere that they want to be more involved with or less over time, right? So, you know, I think there are, there are other benefits to that too. But I think that's a big piece of it, right? Is like, what do you envision? What are your needs for a given role? And, and, you know, what does that mean? You can sort of, you can accommodate in terms of the person, Mm -hmm. how experienced they need to be. Uh, And some of that's obviously obvious too, but I think, but it plays into, to the needs of the role. Like, do you need somebody to come in and and get results right away? And is it a highly specialized thing or is it a role that you anticipate, um, you know, growing and and having people growing under it? And so, I mean, lots to consider there, but especially when you're early on and, and you don't have the ability to always bring in somebody you know, really experienced and, and an expert in a given area, um, you kind of have to make do with what you can. There's also sometimes when we're running a hiring cycle and we realize that there's there are some things that might even be more important to us than that skill match or expertise. Yeah. Right. 
Like one that comes to mind is passion for the space that we're working in, right? If we're, if we're interviewing somebody, let's say it's a PR role and they're like, well, I've never, never worked at a PR firm before. I've never done PR anything, but I hate the way that hiring works today. And Mm. I am so passionate about fixing it. I feel like that's a lot more compelling to us than somebody who's maybe an expert in the domain. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think you have to index, you have to understand like where you want to index when you're hiring, right? Um, You know, is this something where like passion is a big piece of it? Or is it, hey, we need somebody who maybe they're not super passionate about this thing, but they love to learn or they want to be more familiar with a given discipline or a given space, right? And, you know, passion is a great example of that. But I mean, I love it when we find people that are like naturally inquisitive and and say, hey, this is something I don't know much about, but I can learn. I've shown my ability to learn in other ways throughout my career. And this is something I want to really jump into or, you know, making sure that they match over the next few years of their career trajectory. Does that align with this role, right? Is, is this, again, something where they are really looking to step up quickly? Is this something where they're okay to come in and, and really learn and feel it out? And all those things, again, kind of go into the consideration set. But finding out what you really want to index on is a big piece of where you where you fall on that spectrum for any given hire mm-hmm. versus super experience or, or, or less so. Yeah. And I think we do a good job of planning that before we actually start the hiring cycle. Yeah. Yep. Just getting a sense of what we're willing to compromise on, what's most important. Yeah. You mentioned, you know, it's great when we find people who are super curious and eager to learn. Yeah. And I'm wondering if you want to talk a little bit about how we support folks who are really hungry to learn and get better. You know, what kind of guardrails do we give them? and How do we support them in that? Well, this kind of goes back to your original point of, you know, for a lot of years in this business or that I've been here, most of the business's history, we've been fairly constrained from like budget and cost, you know, perspective where we're not able to go out and make 20 hires and hire leaders for different, you know, departments right off the bat. And we've kind of had to build into that. And so as a result of that, you're, you're sort of creating intentional spaces for people to, to grow and become those over time. And so, you know, out of necessity, right? Not always like first choice, but just out of necessity. And so, you know, I think having that expectation up front and then making sure that whoever is stepping into that role is open to, to that ambiguity and kind of to that open space of, hey, we know that this role is going to evolve a lot over the next 6, 12, 18, 24 months. Like, are you okay with that? Like, does that excite you or does that make you really nervous and anxious? And is that not a good fit? Um, or, hey, this role may change, right? And, and it may branch a little bit here, may branch a little bit there. Is that something that's exciting to you because you just want to learn more about the space in general um, or the field in general? And so all those things, I think, are, are key to asking and finding out for for anybody that's you know going to be uh, in a new company. But um, specifically with this, when we have roles where we know we're, we're hiring somebody who hasn't been in this exact role for years in, in their career, um, I think it's exciting to be able to like watch people grow and see, hey, we're going to give you more responsibility. As the company grows around them, like they're also sort of leveling up, you know, in tandem with that. And so that's like really fun to watch and see that there's always that inherent space, I think, for people mm-hmm. to grow and level up into if that's something that they want to do. Right. Not everybody 
desires that. But I think for the people that do, there's, you know, with startups, small companies, there's a lot of opportunity for, for that in the earlier days. Yeah. And I think it's one thing to say, like, here's space to grow into now grow. (laughs) And it's another to be like, let's figure out together what it is you need to supplement the areas that you're not an expert in yet. Mm. It's been my experience that when I need, when I need to go deeper in a subject, whether it's Google ads or SEO or the way that our content is interconnected on the website, there's always an opportunity to bring on a coach for a couple months or have an external audit done. Or if I like take time out of my day to take a course about any of these things, like that isn't something that people are confused about, right? Like it's, Mm. it's definitely kind of like baked into the expectations of my time as I'll be spending time, I'll be spending time executing, but I'll also be spending a lot of time learning. And I think that's pretty unique here. Yeah. I'll say, I think what we've done well, and, and you teed this up early in the conversation. So, so kudos to you, um, (laughs) is when we kind of sense that, Hey, nobody on the team has this particular skill. We can go and get that from somebody at a you know in a fractional way mm-hmm. hey come in and, and work with you know someone on this particular thing so they can learn more about it they can be more informed over the course of a quarter or two quarters right and it's not a full-time hire it's not somebody replacing somebody in a role but it's hey come alongside so that we can learn in kind of an, in an accelerated fashion i think we've done that fairly often and, and for the most part um effectively I think where we can, we're just starting to explore and maybe, and I would say there's room for us to improve as a company is like providing actual, like academic, formal um, education, you know, for the team, right? And in, in ways that they want to grow. I know we um, have recently over the past year or so been pushing, you know, things like the Odin Project, which is super cool, right? Anybody comes on the team that's not a developer already, we've got this sort of set open source project that they can jump into um, which is, which is so great. Um, huge fan. Yeah. yeah. Huge fan of, of what they're doing there and, and, and all the work that's gone into that project, because it's, it's even for somebody who's not, um, a developer like myself, it's still learning. You still learn so much from the basics. Uh, mm-hmm. even though I've been in this business for, you know, years and I understand some of the terminology, it's like, Oh, interesting. You know, you're always learning something new that at a, at a foundation level. So yeah, things like that. Um, you know, we, we've done more recently and I want to do more of, I think, as, as a company, as we continue to grow and have more people um, to be intentional about, you know, finding those spaces of not only if you want to level up, but maybe it's adjacent, right? And, and mm-hmm. giving abilities to do that. So that's a place that I, I want to continue to explore and, and how we can do that more over time, too. Yeah. Something that the marketing team has been doing is maintaining a shared bookshelf. So in Notion, we just have a bookshelf database mm. where we post like podcasts, articles, books, what, whatever it is that we're consuming. Yeah, that's super cool. And it's cool because, you know, the nature of Notion is you can annotate things, you can leave comments. Yeah. And so that's been fun as like a member of the marketing team to yeah. see the team kind of like level up together and kind of build the shared context around like, all right, cool. Like, all of us have read this piece about what makes an exceptional landing page. And we all have this context now when we're building things right. for the website. That's great. I love that. I didn't know you guys were doing that, but I want to implement that now myself. That's super cool. 
Well, I think we should make it company wide for sure. Maybe we'll do like a, a resource that's public as part of a. This is actually a spoiler alert that is on the content <laughs> calendar for next year. Very cool. Yeah, I'm on um, board. I was also thinking when we were prepping for this episode that like there are some there are some things we win by hiring people who are new to technology that. I don't think we've thought of before consciously as wins, but we've certainly benefited from them, right? Mm. Like, for example, when we bring in people who are who have never worked in technology before, they're not bringing kind of like preconceived notions around what's possible or what's good or what's bad yeah. based on what they've experienced at previous teams. And I think in a lot of ways, we've seen that pay off, right? Like... The example that I'm most familiar with because it's in my space is our newsletter, right? Like we started writing this newsletter almost five years ago. We have a newsletter? Right? Yeah, we I'm do have a newsletter. <laughs> we have a newsletter, Wayfair. It's very great. Faith mm-hmm. writes them. You know, if I was a seasoned marketer, the Wayfair would certainly not be what it is, right? Like if if when I joined, I had been writing newsletters for someplace True. else before, there would be... CTAs everywhere. There would be a hard sell. You'd be so much less authentic. Exactly. But instead, <laughs> it's literally just my diary on the internet. And people like it and subscribe to it without actually being like on our platform, which is cool. Yeah. Also, like empathy for non-technical hires is something we win when we bring in folks who are new to tech. Like we work a lot with people who aren't developers themselves. And we can really understand that when it's something that we've experienced recently, right? I think that's a big a big piece of it. Um, but even, you know, to add to that, you know, people bring in a lot of experiences that are unique to just other industries too. Right. And I think there is there is crossover, right, um, in different ways. And so I, I've seen that a few times even, you know, within operations of how, Hey, this is how I've done it at this old role I had. And, you know, it was very customer centric. And I want to make sure that like, this is how we implement a new process here. And I'm like, that's, that's great. I love that perspective. Let's keep that in play. And so I think you get a lot of benefits that way. Um, and not that, you know, tech is, is devoid of those things as an industry, but, um, you know, when you get people that have had a variety of career experiences, that, that also brings a richness, I think, to, um, to a role, to a team, and then obviously, you know, to a company. And so I'm glad that we've got kind of a diverse mix of backgrounds from a career perspective on the team so far. It makes it makes it cool. Yeah. Something that I actually had under the column of like what we lose by hiring more green folks is insight into other companies and like a broader context around best practice mm. for their role. But I hadn't thought about what you said, which is like, yeah, maybe for maybe we lose that, but what we gain instead is insight into best practices at other industries and in other roles, right? I think it's still a valid point. You know, I think when when you have people that aren't as familiar with your your space or they're newer to, to a given role or, or function, I think you just have to be more intentional about seeking out things like best practices and standards and common KPIs, right? If you're not coming in with that knowledge, then you have to build it. And to build it, you have to sort of seek it out and understand. Um, and so I think that's just a, a place where, 
you know, for our business, we have to be intentional about doing that in some areas where, you know, we don't have that expertise at, at every single seat. Um, or we're building it over time or in the earlier days, right? We really had to seek that out um, from domain experts in different ways. And uh, one that, like you said, that enables us to learn ourselves. But uh, that is, I think, still a valid point where you'll, you know, you'll bring in some some really good things from people that are not, um, haven't been doing the same thing for 10 years. But on the flip side of that same coin is you also have to make sure that you're, uh, watching out for those flanks, if you will, in, in a given role. And hey, where are we going to be weak at, you know, just because there's a knowledge gap or an experience gap and, and really leaning into that. So I, I still think that's a valid point. Yeah, that's interesting. How for folks listening who are like, yeah, maybe I need to kind of rethink the way I plan out these hires. What's your advice for folks as they're considering like, do I need do I need, need a domain expert or can I hire someone a little bit more green? That's a good question. And I don't know that there's a single answer. I know some of the things that we've looked at are, are impact, like time time, and um, the degree of impact. And so if this is a role where we need results really fast or they need to be real needle movers in terms of results, I think that's something that can inform whether or not you need somebody who's done this before who can quickly get up to speed um, and have an impact. If it's a role where that's that's less uh, of a concern, it's more of an ongoing thing, or just by necessity of the role itself, it, it doesn't affect maybe growth of the business. Um, there's maybe more opportunity to have somebody come in and learn over time and build around them. Mm-hmm. I think that's one area to look at. And then I think the other two is, what is the rest of the team around that role? How are they able to support or facilitate growth, right? Do other people on the team have adjacent knowledge, even if it's not their sole responsibility where they can help somebody um, get up to speed really quickly? Or, hey, if no one on our team knows how to do this, should we then go and hire somebody else who doesn't know how to do this? Right. And when we can't coach them. A hundred percent. And so, you know, those are a couple of different things. Now, I will say one of the things that we've done that I think has at least helped with that is... Um, we typically try and have, you know, somebody do a new role before we hire for it, just for even for a short time, right? Mm-hmm. So that we have some experience and that we can at least speak from an informed place on, even if it's just our own context of, of gun, you know, gun.io, we can still say, hey, we've done this ourselves. When somebody new comes in, we're able to at least understand, empathize with the role. Uh, and I think that's helped too with having people who are less experienced in a given responsibility set, kind of get up to speed because we've, we know what it's like to be in that seat, even if it's for a short time. And I think that's um, something smart that Tasia's implemented that, that we've done over the last couple of years that I think has been effective too. Yeah. I think that's huge to identify like reasonably what can we expect from somebody? Mm-hmm. Like what's a really aggressive KPI and what's kind of yeah. like the base level that would tell us if, if the person's performing or not. Yep. Something I think about a lot too with hiring folks who are more entry level is, especially in technology, our candidate pool for more experienced folks tends to be pretty homogenous. Mm. And that's kind of true regardless of, of role, maybe except for marketing. Something that we win by hiring entry level folks is access to a much more diverse talent pipeline. Yeah. And I think we've won a lot there as well. But obviously, like your 
your recruitment is only as good as your retention. And so I'm really excited to think, to continue kind of implementing these, like these practices around supporting folks in their growth, right? Like whether it's access to coaches, academia, like you mentioned, getting folks in the Odin project. Um, But also, you know, I feel like the most impactful thing that was done for me here was just introducing me to a professional network. Like both Tasia and Gray have been so helpful in identifying other growth marketing leaders and their networks and introducing me so that I have some sort of benchmark for myself. And I've got like kind of a peer board that I can go to yeah, and say, Hey, like, here's, here's a challenge. I've never dealt with this before. Like, what do you guys do? What do you think? Um, yeah. And I'm, that's so key. That's what somebody who has experience and, and is not green in a role can bring to a team Mm -hmm. and bring to the table, right? Is that network for, if not themselves and other people on the team potentially, right? Absolutely. And I think like, as I'm reflecting on this, I'm thinking about how we can do this for folks in every role at the company, not just in leadership roles. One last thing that that's come to mind as we've talked is just asking these questions too of the people on your team. Mm-hmm. of, hey, are, do you feel like you're growing? Is is this role that you're in like the direction that you want to stay in? Or if not, how can we maybe accommodate that? Or is there space for that here? Um, it's, it's prudent and helpful to be mindful of where people want to go. And mm-hmm. that doesn't always mean you're aligned forever, right? That doesn't mean every employee that you hire is going to be with you forever or should be with you forever. And I think it's okay to understand where those paths might you know, diverge too. And so the more that I think as, as a leader that I try and challenge myself, um, you know, it's just to make sure that I have a pulse on that team wide, are people where they want to be, are they able to grow? And if not, like, have we identified that? Do we, are we aware of that? Is there a space for that? And just making sure that you're checking back in on that. And it's not a one-time conversation that happens at the point of hire, but it's a continuing thing too. Um, which dovetails along with continuing education, other opportunities to grow. But I think just being intentional about asking those questions even will, at least for me, has opened up like new ideas, new thoughts. Oh, I didn't know that about you. Oh, that's interesting. Or now that you've been in a role for six, 12 months, you have a better sense of where you want to steer yourself going forward. Um, again, speaking for myself, those are things that are sometimes easy to, to not prioritize conversations. But I've learned that as we've, can get in a regular cadence of having those, they can be, they can be impactful, right? right. Because they could, that could be the difference of somebody sticking around for a few more years or saying, this isn't cutting it for me. I want to go find something else. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of just potential there. I think if for a simple conversation that, that you can learn. So, yeah. If you're a manager or a leader listening to this and you're like that, yeah, that sounds great, but that sounds freaking terrifying. <laughs> There's two resources that we'll link in the show notes. One is a book called Difficult Conversations, which is an oldie, but a really goodie for having kind of those, those conversations with folks who you're leading or anyone in your life. <laughs> and the second is much shorter and more consumable blog post by Teaming. And Teaming makes software for leaders and managers we find a lot of value in it uh, with managing one-on-ones yeah um but there's a great blog post that's just a list of questions to ask in a one-on-one 
And I just have those in my one-on-one folder and pull one every week when I'm talking to someone on my team. And a lot of them fall under the category of like, let's talk about professional development and how do you want to grow, you know, and how can I support you in that? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Well, Tyler, this has been awesome. I think this has been one of my favorite conversations actually on the Likewise. podcast. Yeah, yeah, this has been fun. Yeah, yeah cool. Well, we'll provide those resource, resources for everybody and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast powered by Gun.io. We drop two episodes per week. So if you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice and come hang out with us again next week and bring all your internet friends. If you have questions or recommendations, just shoot us a Twitter DM at the Frontier Pod and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast, and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.